You are listening to Witness Essentials, Episode 4. This episode looks at what the lawyers should be doing in the hearing room. Because you want to know how you ought to be questioned, not only by the lawyer who's called you to give evidence, but also by the lawyers for any other parties. Let's start then with the questions from your lawyer. These are known by the names Chief, Direct or Examination in Chief, depending on where you live. In any event, the questioning by your lawyer should reflect teamwork by you and that lawyer during preparation so as to have you deliver a well-ordered, relevant and persuasive account in the hearing room. Part of that teamwork requires that the two of you set an agreed agenda for the topics in your evidence, and this is part of the preparation before the hearing. During your questioning in the hearing room, your lawyer should actively indicate both the start and the finish of each agenda topic. The reason for doing this is is that it lets the audience know the route that they're travelling with you and how far along that route you and they have travelled. Now, during the questions from your own lawyer, the most common type of questions are known by lawyers as open questions because they permit you to give an explanation in your answers. Open questions often have one or more of who, why, when, where, what and how within the question or questions. In terms of the way in which your story is told with the help of your lawyer, the usual desirable progression is to start with something that is strong in your evidence, to finish with something that is also strong in your evidence, and to put any weak material in the middle. The reason for this is that a strong start attracts the attention of the audience and builds confidence in you. A strong finish is necessary because otherwise, if you finish weakly, That is a very good point from which the opposition can commence its cross-examination. Hence, you don't want to do that. What you need to put in the middle of your examination in chief is such material as the correcting of any errors that were made in a written statement. Apart from that correction, there may also be some part of your background or your evidence, that would be very attractive to those who are going to cross-examine you. But it can become less attractive, and certainly much less damaging, if it's confessed to and minimised somewhere in the middle of your evidence. This process of confessing and minimising is known as confess and avoid. It's always done well into your examination in chief 
because before it's done, you must appear as confident and reasonable to the decision maker and you must never finish on confess and avoid for the same reasons I mentioned earlier. Namely, that you don't want to give the opponent an easy starting point for their cross-examination. So to repeat, fixing errors and confessing and avoiding is an essential part of the questions that the lawyer asks you. Though it is essential, it should be done well into your examination in chief. It should neither be at the start nor the finish of your evidence. Turning now to the questions that the other party or parties may ask you, this is called cross-examination. Now, cross-examination is an opportunity for the other lawyers to make points through you that they'll need and want to repeat in their closing submissions to the decision-maker. Many witnesses wrongly believe that when they're being cross-examined, they are the target of the cross-examiner. Sometimes this is true, but often it is not. There is a guideline for cross-examiners that they should always be nice to you as long as possible. Because by being nice, they will likely get the most cooperation that you can give them. As it happens, a lot of cross never stops being nice. But whether the cross-examination is nice or rather less than nice, the cross-examiner will usually use what we call closed questions. These are questions that can readily be answered with such answers as yes, no, don't know, don't remember. Consequently, closed questions are controlling questions because they do not allow you, the witness, to give an explanation. Now, if the question is reasonable, and if it can be answered with one of those short answers, that is what you must do. However, remember that the questioner cannot demand that you use those answers if their question is in some way misleading. Now, cross-examiners, like your own lawyer, will use the open questions, that's the who, why, when, where, what, how type of question, when they have the assessment that your answer to that open question will leave their case no worse off, but may give them unexpected gold. It follows from this that open questions during cross-examination are much less likely than closed questions. So much so that cross-examiners who ask lots of open questions are likely to be very inexperienced. And if they are inexperienced, that gives you, the witness, a much better run. By contrast, good cross-examiners are very good 
at building their next question on your last answer. So good cross-examiners are very good listeners who can then process your answer and create the next question very, very quickly. Now they're responding not only to what you've said, but how you said it, along with whatever is the underlying atmosphere in the hearing room. Turning now to one particular style of cross-examination, I call it the attrition style or the wear-down style, which depends upon eye contact between the cross-examiner and the witness. The cross-examiner apparently gets energy from that eye contact across the room. Now, earlier in these episodes, I've given advice about where you should look in the hearing room, and you may recall that that was to ideally look towards a halo above the decision-maker or where the decision-maker wants you to look at the lawyers, then it halos above the lawyers or between them. Now, for the attrition style of cross-examiner, the fact that you're looking above them and not directly at their eyes is a problem. Consequently, they will probably try by movement and even by an express demand to have you look directly at them. A lawyer has no right to require that you look at them. Should they demand it, then gently and politely remind them that you're there to give your evidence to the decision maker who needs to hear it. You're not giving it for the benefit of the lawyer. Whatever the style of the cross-examiner, you may be confronted with one or more misleading questions. In that situation, you recall from episode 3 that you need to use the tag phrase, would you like me to explain? Now, it's not very likely that the cross-examiner will want you to explain. It is occasionally the case that the decision-maker will ask you what you wanted to say. But remember that the point of the phrase is to alert your lawyer that this is something that they should ask you in re-examination. That means that you must remember to tell your lawyer before the cross-examination starts what is expected of them when you use the phrase would you like me to explain. Turning now to something known as a rule of fairness, it's also known as the rule in Brown and Dunn, this very unfair rule is something that has survived from the British colonial empire. And its unfairness applies especially to the defence in both civil and criminal cases. So, if you are called by the plaintiff or the prosecution as a witness, then the defence lawyer has to ask you questions to which you've already given your answer 
when the prosecutor or plaintiff lawyer asked you questions. Don't think that the defence lawyer wasn't listening to you. She or he simply has to do their job. So, just politely answer those questions so that both you and they can move on to something more important in the case. The background to the rule and the various ways to deal with it are discussed in the podcast Advocacy in Court Preparation and Performance where one episode deals exclusively with it. Talking about things that are unfair or unpleasant, many advocates learn bad habits with which you have to deal. For example... If a lawyer says to you in cross-examination, I put it to you, followed by something, or I suggest to you, followed by something, what you should do is to ask them politely what they mean. I don't know what they mean. After all, if I suggest something to you, I'm not asking you a question, am I? And yet... These lawyers who speak English outside as well as inside the courtroom mistakenly think that the meaning of a phrase changes entirely from one side of a wall to another. As I said, if the phrase is used with you, stop and ask them to rephrase. Here's another instance of how the use of the same phrase leads to quite unnecessary and avoidable confusion. It's a very common error for inexperienced lawyers when cross-examining to start a question with a phrase such as, I suggest to you, and then follow that with a question of sorts, and then tack on another long phrase such as, isn't that so, or isn't that the case? The result is is that the question to which they want an answer is sandwiched rather like a very thin piece of filling between chunks of stale bread. When that happens and you're not sure what the question is because you've likely forgotten it, ask them to just restate the question to you. Not only you but everybody else in the courtroom will be happy that you've done so. That's all that I have to say about cross-examination, so I now turn to your lawyer's limited second go at questioning you, which is known as re-examination or redirect. Now this second go is only for clarification of matters raised with you during the cross. It can't be to deal with evidence that you should have been asked about when you began and it was forgotten for one reason or another. What's more, your lawyer does not have any right to re-interview you between the end of the cross-examination and the start of his or her re-examination. They may, of course, ask the decision-maker if they can have time for such a short interview, but it may be refused. And it's because it may be refused, that you need to use the phrase would you like me to explain during the cross-examination so as to alert your lawyer 
to what they should ask you about. Having dealt with the method of questioning in chief, cross and re-examination, I now turn to objections. First of all, what are they? It happens when the opposing lawyer loudly says, Objection! after your lawyer has asked you a question, but before you start your answer. Objection tells the decision-maker that the opposing lawyer believes that there is a sound legal reason why the question cannot be asked. I should add that your own lawyer can also object when the opposing lawyer is cross-examining you. Now, the most common objections are as follows. Multipart. That means that the question that you've just been asked has various bits to it, each of which needs to be answered separately. Next, hearsay that is being used as though it were true. Next, repetition, meaning that a question or something very like it has already been asked and answered. Leading on an issue, that is where the question suggests an answer about a fact that is contested between the parties, and this is an objection that is made when you are being examined in chief by your lawyer. Speculation, that is when the question calls for an answer that is speculation on your part. Then, a question which is argumentative because it's not eliciting evidence, rather it's putting a point of view. And finally, lack of foundation. This typically arises where a question that might be relevant when the underlying basis for it are established by earlier questions is asked out of the blue. So more questions of a foundation type are needed before the question can be asked. For you as a witness, the most important thing is what do you do when you're in the witness box and a lawyer says, objection? The answer's simple. You stop talking. You simply wait until you're told that you may talk again, typically with the question being repeated or if the objection has been successful, that is the decision maker has upheld it, then the question will be rephrased or there'll be a new question that has no, no apparent connection to the one that you were just asked. There remains just a few words about which you know you need to know a little more. The first of those is hearsay, to which I made reference just when dealing with the nature of some objections. Something is hearsay when it is a report about something by someone who did not experience it. Courts and tribunals, so far as possible, like the evidence they receive to be primary evidence, that is, the person who's giving the evidence experienced through one or more of their senses. If something is being reported by someone else, 
then the issue is always, well, why isn't that someone else coming here to give his or her evidence? Admissibility is a term that you'll hear in the hearing room. And the question is always whether the rules of evidence allow what is being offered as evidence to come before the decision maker. One of the key determinants of admissibility is relevance. That is, is that the fact about which a question is now being asked has some meaningful connection to an issue in the case before the decision maker. Finally, and I do rather hope that this doesn't happen to anybody listening to these podcasts, there is the characterisation of a witness's evidence as adverse or hostile. This occurs, typically, when a witness has given a statement, often a written one, which has been used by a party in the case and they expect the witness to give their evidence in the same way, with the same content, as the statement suggests, but unexpectedly the witness says something that is quite different, often wholly contradictory. Where that happens, the party that has called the witness can apply to the decision-maker to have the witness declared hostile or adverse. The particular term depends on the evidence law in the court within which the witness is appearing. The party that's applying for this determination of adverse or hostile has to jump through several hoops to get the decision-maker to allow them to cross-examine their own witness. No doubt you can see that if a party has to cross-examine their own witness, the value of that evidence is always much less than if the evidence had been elicited in the normal examination-in-chief way. So that is the end of the words and phrases and the topics that you've needed to get across in order to become a witness who feels satisfied with what you're doing in the hearing room. So, unless you're an expert, in which case you need to go on to the final episode, episode five, you're now finished with listening to these episodes. If so, first of all, I wish you all success when you give evidence. Next, I do ask you to share your experience of this podcast with others who might give evidence or with lawyers who need to better prepare their witnesses for upcoming litigation. All the best to you. The next episode, episode five, is about why experts are allowed to give opinions at hearings and how they should give those opinions. Bye for now.